When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome to the Book Riot Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and we're talking about in the world of books and reading. Today is Thursday, November 18th, 2021. I'm Jeff O'Neill, here with Rebecca Shinsky, coming to you from bookriot.com. It's going to be a tight 40 today. We've got, we got a, quite a bit of like news you want to mention, but not a lot to delve into too much. Before we get started, today... Uh, not today, but holiday rec- rec- recommendation requests are closed. Don't email, email us to those. I'm sorry. Those are closed. We've got plenty to work with and couldn't get to them even if you emailed at this point. Also, a week from today, we will be shutting down the ability to download our fall preview draft on Gumroad. There'll be a link in the show notes there. Or you can go to bookriot.com slash fall draft. Last bit of housekeeping. Um, we're hiring a advertising sales manager. So if you like books and comics does helping advertisers who want to reach an enthusiastic community of books and comics lovers excite you, or maybe even just the idea of it maybe is interested in exciting you, this job may be for you, especially <laughs> if you have prior sales or account manager experience. So that's not necessary. We are committed to building an inclusive workforce, strongly encourage applications for women, individuals with disability, and people of color, health benefits, retirement benefits, 160 hours of annual PTO are just some of the benefits you can expect to apply. Visit bookride.com slash join dash us link in the show notes is probably easier apply by december 5th another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. It's, um, and it's award season and I didn't even have this on my radar, but the national book award came out last night, Rebecca. And I think we have a, a genuine surprise in, in my mind. This is not, I don't know. Yes. You want to tell the people what we got here? Well, the fiction winner is Jason Mott's novel, Hell of a Book, which I was like, did I even know this book know. was a book? I know. <laughs> I think maybe you were off the week where I think <laughs> Danica surprise. and I, or maybe Jen and I were talking about the National Book Award finalists or long list or whatever. And I mentioned, you know, he, I remember his book, first book coming out as like a YA post-apocalyptic thing, I think called The Return. Yes. We were at BEA and there were big banners, I remember. It was a huge, huge deal. deal. His, his debut was a huge deal. I remember all of the publicity around that for sure. I don't, this was just not... 
no. on my radar this year. Um, and it looks like it came out in June. So we missed it also when we were doing our various drafts of big releases yeah. for different times of year. Kind of a sleeper hit. I'm seeing here lots of positive reviews. It was on a lot of, you know, book of the year lists. So just, I mean... Maybe got drowned out by the top. I don't know. know. Yeah. Whitehead, Jonathan Franzen, Lauren Groff. I'm excited. I'm going to go pick it up at Powell's this weekend if I can get a copy. I'm going to go (laughs) check this out. This is the kind, I guess, is what you want if you're a National Book Award is a sleeper hit or a sleeper kind of pick that we're then going to go pick up. So I'm excited to see that. It's a bookie book. You know, it's about books, and the cover has a book that's in. And I I read the blurb (laughs) when I was in Powell's. The other week, I picked it up. It was on there. Like they're doing now, like this Powell's pick, twenty percent off retail, which is a little unusual for Powell's mm-hmm. to do discounting. I just think they're trying stuff out, and it was on there. So shouts to them for picking it. Um, but that's really interesting too. Beating out the the shortlist turned out to be Cloud Cuckoo Land, Matrix, Zori by Laird Hunt, and The Profits by Robert Jones Jr. Um, pretty good list as well. Nonfiction. Um, Taya Miles, All That She Carried, The Journey of Ashley Sack, A Black Family Keepsake, which we talked mm-hmm. about at some point and being interested in. I have this on lo- uh, hold from my uh, library on audio, though. Let me check the weeks here. 7,848 weeks. It only feels that way, <laughs> uh, but it's a long time. So I don't know. This may have to jump up uh, at some point here for me. It was, I looked this morning and it was back ordered from my preferred indie. So I mm-hmm. impulse bought the Good. ebook and will be reading that. Um, and, you know, just, I need to, I feel compelled to note Hanif Abdurraqib, one I of know. the finalists for the National Book Award in nonfiction, A Little Devil in America. I, I just, you know, need to point out that I called it really early that that book is one of the books. I, of the I, I hope to get to that, but I already got more Adiraki brownie points, or he earned more brownie points than me. I saw a quote from him that was circulating on Twitter or somewhere else that I was looking, or just a blurb in my RSS reader saying, like, the secret of my success is I mind my own business. And fella, I got to <laughs> tell you, that's like a cool <laughs> drink of water on a hot day. You'll love to hear it. It's good. It is good <laughs> advice. Really, it is good really advice good indeed. Advi- <laughs> advice. So you can find a link in the show notes there. As always, bookwriter.com slash listen. We put the links to all the stories we talk about. Going from pretty interesting book award news to what I have to say is very uninteresting and uninspiring book pick. Barnes & Noble's book of the year is Lyrics by Paul McCartney. <laughs> I thought their last two books were very interesting. The one last year was World they of were. Wonder. Was that is that the name of that book? Yeah. World, World of, of Wonders. Wonders. And the yeah. year before that was The Fox, The Mole, The Turtle, something like that is graphic. The boy, the horse, yeah, the dog. It's, it's a de- definitive article, the animal in a in a serial. Um, and that book has continued to sell very well, an unusual pick. We were talking about dad books, and I have to say this, we got no feedback about dad books. I think that was very fascinating. Really? No one had any sort of like, <sighs> n- n- their dander was neither up nor were they helping us resolve our dander. But this I mean, is a dad maybe book. We... I don't know what else to say about this. Yes. And I, <laughs> I, I'm a huge Beatles fan. I like Paul McCartney. I find this completely uninteresting. What's going on? Why pick this? Rebecca, help me figure this I out. I don't... I... I don't know. You had just dropped this into the agenda a, a few I minutes rage dropped before, it. I or did. I just I, saw it in the agenda strong. like a few mm-hmm. minutes before we started recording. And I saw the news about this this morning, and I am just making a confused face precisely because the last two picks, which I think are the only two picks for Barnes yes, & Noble having right. a book of the year, um, were really interesting. And if you had asked me to guess based on those, what I thought they would be doing with that sort of space ongoing, I would have said, you know, sort of interesting mm-hmm. 
not necessarily heartwarming, but interesting, like nourishing for the soul kinds of reads. The Boy, the Horse, the Whatever, um, people review it largely that way. And World of Wonders tangles with some difficult subject matter, but is really, really Mm -hmm. beautiful and sort of scratches an adjacent itch to the Mary Oliver itch, I think. That this just feels out of left field and also like Paul McCartney doesn't need any publicity help. Both those first two picks were under the radar at, in uh, to a large degree, I think, before Barnes & Noble highlighted them. And, like, Paul McCartney's giant book of lyrics <laughs> and, like, commentary about them. It, first of all, it has Paul McCartney's name on it. I know, it's very so it strange. It, like, it's, you know, and the write-up on the Barnes & Noble website is like, this is the gift book of the year. And, like, okay, but the... Category award thing that they do is not gift. Well, I think we may be wrong about that though, because you look. I think the last two books were very good gift books. I gave World of Wonders to my mom. I almost bought the Boy, the Horse, whatever for for my kids, but I I didn't because I was like, eh. But so, and I was in Pals. And have you seen this thing? Have you seen one of these? No, not it's a big. It's a big book. It's a a coffee table extravaganza show title and. It looked again. I don't. I'm not going to hate on them for wanting to move some units, but I do wonder if we now have three data points. If our trajectory has changed about what's going on here, mm. I think this is one that people who want to give physical books it scratches that itch, right? I think that's very interesting. Well, yeah, this is a not quite universal, but it's a pretty all-purpose mm. gift book. And you're right; those first two titles were as well. And they do release this announcement oh, yes. right at the beginning oh, of yes. gifting season. So that's you know that makes this make a little mm-hmm. bit more sense. I think from a, but from a gift <laughs> book of the year, even if we put a gift book of the year in quotation marks, which I, I frankly have no problem doing, and I know why they wouldn't do it. That is a fine thing for Barnes and Noble to do. They want to help totally. people buy something that Absolutely. people want to give. I just am not excited about this pick within that, even with Yeah, and you know that they have, if you wander into your Mm. local Barnes & Noble, they have multiple tables of gift suggestions for people this time of year, for moms, for dads, for teachers, for kids, for for the classics lover, whatever. So it just doesn't, this is, I think this is just boring. Um, And also it's very, I think it's gated by virtue of being a dad book. You know, the boy, the horse, the mole, you're not giving it to a whatever's. 10-year-old. Like, no, and one of the things that people said about that was that it was yes. kind of good for Great all point. ages, good for the whole family, great for all time zones. And World of Wonders is pretty applicable mm-hmm. that way as well. It's not a book you would give to a child, but you know, teenagers could find something in it. Adults of all ages could find something to enjoy in it, find some value from it. And Paul McCartney, like I think you and I are on the we're on the younger end I would say of the so. window of yes. people who are potential customers for Mm -hmm. this product. It's hard to imagine there are many folks much younger than us that are like picking up the pillars of the garden. I don't know. Are 24 year olds buying this for their dad or grandfathers? Maybe. Oh, well for their, for maybe, maybe if it's for your, for somebody older, you're, you're just the customer who's like the middleman (laughs) giving it. Here's the other thing I hate about it. Can Um, we jump ahead to the thing I hate? More, even <laughs> so. And you probably haven't thought about this yet. Do you want to know what the retail price for this flipping thing is? It's, it's $100. $100. I'm looking at it. <laughs> what are we doing? Like... <laughs> this makes no... I, just, I, I hate this. This is like the one percenter it's, of it book recommendations. <laughs> I really don't like this. 
I don't yeah. like this either. And you know, like I agree. I like the Beatles a lot. I've followed some of the stuff around McCartney's career. He's an interesting person. In general, I really like commentary about music and hearing artists talk about their creations. There's a Dolly Parton like lyrics with commentary book that I am super interested in. This is just a it's kind of a it's it uninteresting. This so, is an uninteresting. Again, maybe they've got metrics that we'll never see. I'd love to know because maybe if they sell four of these, it's worth selling 15 copies of the toad, the man, the worm, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. And I don't know the other things that do they get co-op on this? You know, how would they have some kind of deal with the publishers? Yeah. Like, I think there's a whole bunch of fascinating <laughs> things going on here. Do you want to know what's even worse than the hardcover oh, the Kindle price? price? The Nookbook price is 84 Really? The Kindle price is 57 bones. Well, Amazon, I guess, must be discounting it because oh, I'm looking man. at it here on BarnesandNoble.com, and the, it is an eighty-five dollar unbelievable. E-book. Never buy this as an ebook. Talk about spend fourteen <laughs> extra dollars. Get the thing. <laughs> Just what is, what is I going don't like on this here? At all. And that, like, I'm kind of glad this exists. Like, I'm you know, this is a good. If I were the kind of person that bought my dad $100 book, which I'd never do, it'd be a great pick for my dad. Maybe my dad will yes. buy it. I just, it doesn't feel, like, r- there's something wrong about it. And it, it just, I don't like this. <laughs> yeah. I don't like it either. You know, it's just, I think I'm going to stand by it. It's just uninteresting and like un risky yeah. in all possible ways. Not that gifting needs to be risky, but like Paul McCartney is maybe the safest possible. That's a great, that's a great list. For- <laughs> Safest possible retrospective artist collector's edition. You know, like, talk to me when there's a meatloaf lyrics commentary. Then my dad and I will be interested. Um, All right. I'm going to segue a little bit because I I don't think my dad will listen to this before his birthday, which is next week. It doesn't matter. Mm. But I was looking for a gift book for my dad, and I found one I really wanted. Miracle and Wonder. Talk about dad books. But my dad and I are huge Paul Simon fans. My My brothers and I, my whole family, Michelle, my mom. All mm-hmm. huge Paul Simon fans. One of the few artists I've seen more than twice uh, live. And there's there's oh, a I new book um, produced by Pushkin Industries, which is Malcolm Gladwell's production shingle that does podcasts and audiobooks. And it's Paul McCartney, uh, Paul McCartney, Paul Simon, other Paul, um, and Malcolm Gladwell <laughs> in conversation over a wide range of subjects and in parts of it's like kind of the same thing for Paul Simon that this is for Paul McCartney, which here's a thing. Okay. No physical edition. It's audio only because you got clips of the music. It's there. There's them talking together. A wonderful. I'm going to listen to this, and I will probably still gift it my dad. But I tell you what, I'm coming back to bundling. If there was also a print one to go along with this, because now I'm going to give it to my dad. And it's an email. Like no one likes this. Yeah, no one likes that. So I don't I like agree. this. You know. Adjacent to this, and I'm just thinking about it now. My dad doesn't listen mm-hmm. to the show. Is Last year, or maybe earlier this year, Barack Obama and yes. Bruce Springsteen had a limited run Spotify podcast where, like, literally they just sat in a barn on one of Springsteen's rural properties and talked to each other for a couple days and then mm-hmm. broke it up into, I think, six long episodes. And they talked about, you know, race and class and childhood and how they came to their political identities and what they understand about masculinity and, like, all kinds of things. And they're, they have turned that into kind of a coffee table book. And that would be 
an interesting yeah. gift for your dad who likes the boss because then he could also go mm-hmm. listen to the podcast if he wanted to and sort of have the whole experience but you get to give the book and not the email can i also talk about the pricing for miracle and wonder on amazon just for just oh, for a second i'm scared <laughs> i'm like very okay. scared of what this might so be. <laughs> i am a prime member though i no longer have an active audible account i've been getting my audiobooks in other ways okay so if I sign up for Audible Premium Plus, Plus, which I don't, I couldn't tell you right now what that is. Is that, is that I don't know what Premium Plus. Yeah, it's fourteen ninety five. If I buy with one okay. click, it's nineteen sixty, and the sticker price is twenty four ninety five, <laughs> and that's Audible's sticker price because it's Audible only or okay. audiobook only. Uh huh. What's happening? I hate this. I don't this. know. <laughs> Isn't the one click price usually just? The same as whatever the price. The price list is? price is twenty two forty. Which with the ad wizards, it came up with Obviously. that price. I don't know. I save two eighty by <laughs> buying with one click. But if I get it as part of my subscription, so I use one of my Audible credits, presumably, uh, it's fifteen dollars. Audible, I beg you. Well, Amazon, I if you beg use a you. credit, you don't have to pay. But for I'm paying. But the price of a credit is essentially fifteen dollars. What I'm saying, right? That's true. I beg okay. you. I beg you, can we please <laughs> can we please do away with the charade of audiobook pricing when I'm not an Audible member on Amazon? Please. In fact, I'll say this. I've gone to buying my audiobooks from Apple. I think I maybe said this on the show before. Because yeah, on my have. phone, and the price is one price, and there's nothing else, and, it, and I can buy it, and boom, it's there. And, I, and frankly, I don't know what it's going to take to get me out of the Apple ecosystem. You know, I, I'm probably going to have an Apple ID till I die. For, I, I'm not, this is not mm-hmm. hyperbole at this point. So I'm always going to have that phone with me, and I have my iPad, and I have my computers, and we use Apple computers at work, and blah, blah, blah. Much more than I can ever say about my audio library, my Audible library, which God knows where that went. Okay, we're going to run through these. Spotify bought a big audiobook production company. I don't think there's anything else to say, but the thing you and I have said is true, which is ear time is ear time. And it doesn't matter if it's a yep. music or a pod, a music. If it's a music or a <laughs> podcast, hello, 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 hello kids. kids, or an audiobook. And they want audiobooks. And I think if we're ever going to get the Netflix for books, it's going to be audiobooks, the Netflix for audiobooks on Spotify, if it ever happens. Mm-hmm. And I was saying in a context recently, people are like, why are books doing so well? And people are buying print books. Like, I don't know. And I think it's one of the great mysteries. But I think one thing that hasn't hurt is there has been no Netflix for books, right? The thing that Netflix right. has done for movies has not happened for books. And it's been something that the big five publishers have really fought tooth and nail. And I might be willing to call myself wrong about their strategy over time um, because they seem to have gotten the world they wanted and COVID helped them in other things. But Spotify mm-hmm. is the player. They're not some startup. They're not Scribd. And Scribd is a good company and they're doing very well. But Spotify is not Scribd. They are, they are 900 pound gorillas. So I'm not sure. Does this mean, yeah. does, this, does this change our vector about Spotify? Does this change our understanding of what the future of Spotify and audiobooks is? Or is this sort of a nod or head? Yep, yep, it's about time. We were expecting this. You know, I think a little bit of both. It depends on how the audiobook access mm. will start working in Spotify. Because currently you can listen to audiobooks in Spotify, but it's like a limited library. And a lot of them are um, readings of public domain kinds of right. works. You know, you can't go listen to Harlem Shuffle in Spotify as just part of your premium membership. So it, I wonder if it'll be like, pay a monthly fee to listen to whatever uh, audiobook. If I have to sign up for Spotify want, Premium Plus, I'm going to jump off something tall. Right? Or if it's like 
just part if they can somehow make it all you can eat in the way that once you have the right. premium Spotify membership, you can listen to all you want to listen to. Um, that's I think that'll be the big question. Like if anybody can crack the all you can eat deal with publishers, it's a company as big as Spotify. Like I think that's really notable that when we were talking about all you can eat services and what like five or six mm-hmm. years ago it was Oyster and Scrib. Those were for ebooks and the licensing on ebooks is like, you know, a whole shenanigan. But also those are Oyster was a like a truly a startup and Scribd wasn't is not a startup, but is also not the size no. of Spotify. And so just the negotiation power that Spotify might have, the the like size of the audience um, and what this could do for author exposure might be mm. different. And I would guess Spotify has all kinds of interesting numbers about things like, you know, they've acquired several popular podcasts and which have become Spotify exclusives, things that you used to be able to listen to on any podcatcher. And now you have to listen inside Spotify. And I would bet they have numbers about what percentage of those shows audiences carried Mm. over that they might be able to use to make a compelling point about, you know, if folks want to listen to your author's audiobook and it becomes available in Spotify and they're already using the Spotify ecosystem, they're going to come in. This looks to me like a play for getting current Spotify users even more deeply embedded in Spotify, which is certainly how like my podcast experience with Spotify has gone. I already, you know, have had Spotify for music for like a decade. um, And I shifted over to listening to my podcast on Spotify, partially because Apple's podcast app got crappy Mm. for a while Um, and partially because several shows that I like became Spotify exclusives and I didn't want to have to toggle like remember which app different shows were in Um, so I I could see doing the same thing for audiobooks and migrating other customers who are like me in that migrating their listening into Spotify so that it is really truly a one-stop shop and it's worth noting that None of the audiobook companies that have added podcasts have been successful yeah. in doing that in the reverse direction, including Audible. They were not successful in saying, you listen to your audiobooks here, now come listen to a bunch of exclusive podcasts. Those have not become a big thing. And indeed, some of the things that were Audible exclusives, like Esther Perel's show um, is a good example, is now a Spotify exclusive. Yeah, that's super fascinating, Rebecca. I think when we talked about there being a Netflix for books, or even Spotify getting the audiobooks game, I think we've imagined it to be that Spotify does for audiobooks what they did for music, which is basically, unless mm-hmm. it's Garth Brooks, you can find it there. No, I'm serious, <laughs> right? Like, it is basically no, yeah. a one-stop shop. Mm-hmm. I think that for because of the publishing industry being the way the publishing industry is, and that Audible already is the 900-pound gorilla of audiobooks, that I would go a different way if I was Spotify, and I would go the Netflix model of content creation, which is like, I don't, I'm not trying to get all the shows mm. on Netflix, but I want to have enough unique stuff on Netflix that people will subscribe for these reasons and stay for these reasons. And I think it makes perfect sense of two things we just mentioned. Imagine if that Springsteen Obama thing was a Spotify exclusive audiobook that the only place you could listen to it was on Spotify, or this Miracle and Wonder book, Paul Simon and Malcolm Gladwell. We don't care that you can't buy on Audible. Because our job is get you to come to Spotify and stay on Spotify. And that means that PRH's titles aren't going to be like cross-shoppable on all these platforms, just like you get Game of Thrones on HBO because they want you to sign up for HBO. They don't care about you buying one Game of Thrones seasons. They want you in. They want you to forget you subscribe, get your credit card in there, make it hard, you know, all the things and then make it part of your life. (laughs) And so what then? Then what you do is that's the Trojan horse for, well, then if you like audiobooks, you see what Spotify has first. 
So it starts to pull away mm-hmm. from those other places kind of by default almost as anything. Because if you're looking for, if you're like us, where I'm going to listen to the Dave Sedaris audiobook, whether it's on Spotify or not, I don't think that's the person they're going to go for right now. They're going to go for the person who's a marginal right. audiobook listener. Is there something on Spotify that's going to take 10 hours of time and that we own the rights to? And frankly, that you might listen to once, but then you're going to recommend to somebody else. So... I think that's pretty interesting to think about that. If they did into an audiobook content play and they and they leverage their existing, you know, get all your podcasters who have books coming out to make their audiobook exclusive with you, get all the music books you can. You already have relationships with these giant recording companies that you've managed all the rights. Like all the hard stuff is done. Having um, Paul Simon and Malcolm Gladwell sit down for six hours and turning those things into chapters, that's easy compared to get Taylor Swift yeah. back catalog on one. and paying her royalties or whatever. Yeah, and one of the huge pieces of potential there is that Spotify has all yes. of this music. So as you were saying, like you can get musicians that are writing memoirs and it's like, here, Dave listen Grohl's to the storyteller. these songs. Right, exactly. All of those kinds of things. But then also the world of books about mm-hmm. music, which I'm in the middle of major labels right oh, now. I'm looking um, forward to that. By Khalifa Senna. It's fantastic. And it would be super fun to be listening to that on mm-hmm. audiobook and then have bits and pieces of the songs that he's talking about put into it right because that's what's happening in my mm-hmm. brain right when he's like you know and then biggie comes out with this track and tupac comes out with this other track and it, you, if you could hear those things up against each other instead of just imagining them or knowing what those songs sound like that would be really excellent and that's made some of the music podcasts that i listen to on spotify a better experience than listening to a music podcast on another platform because they're like, and here's yeah. four minutes of Let's that. Go. Let's do we it. We already have the rights. It's super <laughs> easy to do. So I think, yeah, I think this is more of what we would expect, though the future has become sharper and more interesting uh, as we get closer yeah. to it. I'll be really interested in how this rolls out. All right, out. let's take a sponsor break and then uh, talk about the sentence by Luz Erdrich. I wasn't ready, Rebecca. I was not, this is not what I was oh. expecting. You texted me last night saying that you leave, and I didn't text you because I couldn't get into it. I wanted to save it for the show. I finished the book about an hour ago. I'm an open nerve. Uh, I mean, oh. okay. Where do you, wh- wh- how do you want to start? Let's start here, top level. Did we like the book? Yes. Yes. Let's power rank it against our favorite reads of the year, because I think for me, it's in the conversation. Mm-hmm. It is in the conversation for me as well. It is up there with with, in, with fiction. It's up there with Clara and I think and it is for me as well. And I Matrix. think it is as well. Yeah. I think those are my top three novels of the year. Off the, off the, dome. Off the dome. And we had said when we talked about Matrix for a little while that it, it did not usurp Clara and the Sun. Um, so it was no. 1A and 1B. I think the mm-hmm. sentence, again, I'm an hour into this. And you know how this works. It's going to take a little time. I <laughs> yeah. don't think it's knocked off Claire in the sun, but I do think it's maybe wormed its way onto the silver medal place. I need to spend some more time and maybe even this conversation will help me clarify. Mm-hmm. I think the thing keeping me th- that I'm having the hardest time, it's not what I thought. Whereas Claire in the sun felt it was great, but it wasn't a surprise. I don't know if that makes, you know what I'm, I don't know mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And even as the book went along, the sentence gets more interesting and Claire in the Sun does as well, but some of the what we talked about, like in the Claire in the Sun, you get in the first ten pages of like the voice of the robot, essentially, and that kind of stylistic I don't even know what to call that. Mastery. Yeah, it's 
Right. Like Ishiguru just starts off at such a high level and then holds mm-hmm. the high level of interest and style and skill. And it's really hard to compete with that. Louise Erdrich, I think, comes close. But I also had the experience of it. It it gets more interesting in terms of all of those things. The style gets more interesting. What she does with the form yes. gets more interesting. She moves in and out of a couple of voices closer to the end and it really it builds in a way that like there's a the experience of this book is more of an arc mm-hmm. than the experience of Clara and the Sun is but Clara and the Sun like just starts high and stays high and so yeah I this is I don't know yet either I am also going to need to like sit with these for a while but I unless I read something just that knocks my socks off in the next four weeks the, those are my top three for the year, and it'll just be yeah, yeah, which I place. think about today. So let's talk about what it's about, and then also what we thought about, and what it's actually about in various different levels. I was sold, and and I don't have the blurb in front of me um, to read the jacket copy. I was sold on. It's set in a bookstore, and Erdrich is the owner of Birchbox, Birch, Birch Bark. I can't remember the Birch Bark Birch books. Bark. And so she knows she knows from what she's talking about for like the ins and outs of an independent bookstore. And the stuff that's about the bookstore is great. Like it's real it feels very real and very lived in, a good cast mm-hmm. of characters there. But also that there's a ghost, right? There's a haunting of the bookstore. But also that it was fun, right? This is what I was told. That's sort of like a winking, fun ghost story in a bookstore. <laughs> and it Lies. is that but that's like saying you go to a, a five star Michelin starred restaurant and you're like, it's the dessert. Because there's entrees, there's side dishes. This is a COVID novel. It's a 2021 novel or 2020 novel. It's a novel about memory and loss and death and love and fear and inheritance and crime and sin. And I was not ready for the modulating (laughs) tones of what Eric is doing because there are moments of great lightness here. There are. It's. I was also unprepared. (laughs) (laughs) And and I expected, like, I was skeptical about this book going in because of, you know, my established stance that books about books and set in bookstores are such a hater for this. I agree. (laughs) And I'm sorry. It's just usually a very, like, easy tactic. Um, And I, but I had faith, like, Louise Erdrich's take on that, even if it was kind of pandery, Mm. would be better. And I didn't find this to be pandery at all, but mostly because it's not really a book about books or uh, or about bookstores. It is, this is not a fun looking read. There are, as you said, moments of lightness and there's some humor and like real warmth to the voice at various points. But this you said, you know, that you're an open nerve. Like the word that I had in my notes was that this is just a lot of it is very yes. raw. Um, I felt very raw reading a lot of it precisely because it's about a lot of it is about very recent, very mm-hmm. painful things. And I do not know how Louise Erdrich put those experiences into such sharp words with such perspective. So well, she's as, as good um, as it gets. I mean, that's part of it is like, we know how we don't know because we can't true. do this and very that's few true. people can, if anybody. Right. <laughs> right. But I think Amanda's also mm-hmm. been reading it uh, right now. And I texted her the other day, like, oh boy, hit the COVID chapter was really unprepared for that. The, the first time that the characters hear about COVID and that the main character Tookie like goes to Target or some equivalent of Target looking mm-hmm. for I think, diapers. Diapers and just like 
the feral look in people's eyes and like the woman who snatches the last can of SpaghettiOs out of her hands and some of that just really and just the fear of you know, that the news was constantly changing and we didn't know what was happening. And did you need to wear your masks in your house with your own family members if they had gone outside and who was exposed to what? Just sort of that really yeah. fresh, chaotic hellscape that it was, I mean, she has done a thing here. <laughs> it was it was really hard in the ways that fiction about th experiences like that should be really mm -hmm. hard to read. But man, close to the book. As, as much as you could be, and I'm glad I didn't... I guess I'm glad I didn't know that it has as much to do with what 2020 was. Because it also is about the election, though. I mean, not in a way that's mm -hmm. obvious. And then, of course, this is set in Minnesota. So there's George Floyd and some other things George going Floyd. on there. And among um, indigenous people of various tribes, Ojibwe, Dakota, um, other ones that I, I can't think of right off the top of my head. And the other way I was going to enter this conversation is ask you, what genre is this? Oh, that's a great question. I think this is I think it is fiction. too. It's, I think it is too. Tell me why. It's not like there's a ghost, there's a spiritual mm -hmm. element to the story, but this is not a ghost story. It's not speculative right. fiction. This is firmly grounded in reality and the feeling of being haunted right. by something. It has some supernatural mm -hmm. elements. This so theoretically, fiction. if you and I use my 100% ironclad definition of speculative fiction that you've never had any problem with, <laughs> which is it, that speculative fiction by definition asks the question, what if a thing that we generally agree can't happen did happen? This is that, except that the supernatural elements here are within faith traditions that are not... Um, I don't know how to say that are not like sort of there's a vampire and sort of out of that kind of stuff. This is the things that happen that are outside the world of the agreed upon reality that you and I share are not a surprise necessarily to the characters in this book because they have explanations with them in right. their own faith tradition. So I'm, mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant even to call it speculative fiction because to them it's not speculative. It's not a what if it is, or this is what this no. is. Yeah. So that's hard too. It's not horror though. Very, Determin no. disturbing things happen. It's not realistic because of the things I said before. It is literary fiction because literary fiction gets to do the things that genre doesn't, right? I think that's where I'm kind of coming from. Like it does, it does those things, but more and less, and put them in combinations that is a tight genre definition doesn't really do. Because there's another version of that. This is a romance, capital R, mm. right? Yeah, there's a goat, and there's 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 a family story. There's a history story. There's historical fiction, like. It is a smorgasbord of fictional experiences in a way that I haven't read in a book that's not 900 pages. You know, that's not like David Foster Willis literally trying to do everything all the time. Right. Right. It's a real, like, you think you were coming for a ghost story in a yes. bookstore. <laughs> but what you're going to get is... You know, and some of it is auto fiction. Like, there's a the bookstore owner right. in this book is named Louise. The store is named Birchbark. You Books. know what moment I didn't like, like from an uncanniness? So hmm. there's a moment where you know the COVID is really starting to be a thing, and it's in March of 2020, right? And the character Louise that you just mentioned is out on tour for her book, and yes. she's giving dispatches from various places. And March 11th of 2020 is, was Tom Hanks slash NBA shutdown day. Like uh, kind of the 9-11 of COVID mm. for America as, as we think about these things. Mm -hmm. That's my birthday. It's, it was weird for that to be my birthday. I remember sitting around the house. Yeah. But you know where Louise was on March 11th? Did you happen to notice this? She was in Lawrence, Kansas on March 11th. 
<laughs> which is where I grew up. I did not like this, Rebecca. That did not make me feel fine. That is, I did. I did notice that she was in Lawrence, but you I forgot. Yeah, that it was, was your weird. <laughs> Very strange to do that. <laughs> that is really. That is really. It's uncanny. uncanny. It's you know, and I think even the supernatural elements of the book that, like as you were saying, exist inside faith traditions are. It's not a ghost. This is just. It's not no. a ghost story. That's not the primary thing that's going on here it's not called the haunting the it's called the sentence which has what and 78 sentence, layers to that meaning <laughs> right approximately right. 500 like this is an english oh. teacher's dream for what is what is the symbolism yeah. of the sentence here what does this word mean that tookie the main character has served a literal prison sentence there are there is a sentence in a book in the story that is believed to have killed the character who becomes right. the ghost. There are particular sentences that Tookie wants to say out loud or to hear said out loud. Some of it is about the power of words. Some of it is largely about this the feeling of being in a story that you're not actually mm -hmm. writing and about being haunted by th what are the things that we're haunted by? Like you could also get a hell of an English paper out of like the three ghosts of the I sentence, know. you know, like what are the things that are haunting this person besides the kind of literal ghost that, that, that shows up here that she's doing. Erdrich is just doing so, so much, much. And it's, and so skillfully it's in that way. It's an interesting, like other side of the coin to what Ishiguru does with Clara and the sun where he does, he, he does a lot of work but in this very like restrained, yeah, right. quiet way. And Erdrich is, it's not, the book is not chaotic, but there are, as you like, multiple genres are happening here. We're moving through different characters, perspectives. You're, you're just dropped mm -hmm. into the assumption that ghosts are, the assumption and belief for these characters that like, that ghosts are real, that some other supernatural characters or types of beings could be at play that, you know, you're talking about having broken the law and being haunted by that. There's this really beautiful relationship between the two main characters and we get to see them be winking and joyful together but also like filled with terror when COVID begins and just the idea that one of like there's a scene there where the two where Tookie and her husband are it's early in COVID and they're like talking to each other about like you have to promise me that you oh, won't die God. either <laughs> it's like I am not gonna make it all the trigger warnings um, too I should say including dog warnings. related stuff that one probably caught you that caught me that I, I caught a shoulder yeah. from that particular moment um Mm -hmm. This, you know, sometimes they ask in a. I ask when I'm reading a book or any kind of art, like where's the football? Like what's the central thing that's going from place A to place B? And here it's actually mm -hmm. fairly small. It's Toki wrestling with her identity and coming to terms with who she yeah. is. And for all of us, but especially in Toki in this moment where she comes from and what she experiences, it takes a lot of journey through time, space and feeling and memory to get to mm -hmm. that reckoning. But that's the central thing. Everything else in the book is either context, backdrop, exploration, or unfolding of that central question. So in a lot of ways, the emotional core of it is very small and simple, but it does remind us that to figure out who you are, you kind of have to recreate the universe of your existence to figure that out and everything else that's happening mm -hmm. around that she has to come to terms with a bunch of different people to move from this place to yeah. this place 
And I think it is a someone who loves books is going to love this book. Someone who likes to read, but not in a pandery way, because it has references and the reading experience mm-hmm. is rigorous without being difficult, I would say. Is that fair to, yeah. to, to categorize it that I think way? that's fair. Yeah, I think the the experience of Matrix is more challenging right. yeah. as a reading as a reading experience because of the language and sort of the vignette structure. I don't think this is your all purpose. No, I don't. I gift completely for the I, holiday that's funny season. That you mention that I had something similar to that. It's like, <laughs> and frankly, none of our picks of the year. If I had to pick of our picks of the year, which is the more um, generally giftable, I would probably pick Claire on the Sun. But even that mm-hmm. is a. I think book people especially will appreciate that. I mean, when we talk about the generally, we're talking more plot. And there's a lot of plot here, but not in a way that your Crawdad Singh audience is going to be into. Or even some of these other books that do very well over the course of the year. It's just not going to do that, I don't think. That's a really good distinction. It's This is character-driven, and the characters just happen to do a lot of things. (laughs) <laughs> it's, yeah, it's not it's not plotty in the the plot heavy way. I don't think. And don't if, if you were looking at this thinking like, oh, it's a nice, it's a fun no. winking ghost story set uh-uh. in a bookstore. I'm going to give it to my mother in law. Absolutely no. not. You got to know what you're doing. Um, you got to know what you're doing. I wish that I had. I think I wish that I had known a little bit more about what I was getting into, just because the COVID stuff is so fresh and like poking that bruise i mean you're you in good, in good hands, hands with, with louise erdrick if anybody is going to make you look at those experiences that are so recent and fresh still louise erdrick is a good one but a little bit of warning for my soul that oh we're going to look at those really hard things and remember what mm-hmm. those days felt like remember back when it felt like time collapsed and now you kind of don't remember in sharp detail what that felt like we're going to remember it we're going to bring all the sharp detail back um would have been i think it would have been helpful to know that that was coming in in some capacity but we're probably going to need that for books for a while. You know, Tiffany Yannick's new book this year, Monster in the Middle, has like COVID mm-hmm. shows up in the last couple chapters of that. And I was like, I was unprepared. <laughs> well, Erdrick is very specific that it's like November 2019, November 2020. And I didn't put it together because I think that comes pretty early on. It's like, oh, that's COVID time. So it's going to have to wrestle with it. I just didn't. I'm not yet clicking about no, that's what that's yeah, going to mean because uh-huh. to be said in that time, it has to include COVID stuff. It is a it is a COVID book and it isn't a COVID book, but it, if you're going to be set during this year, you have to incorporate it somehow. She could have set this November seventeenth, uh, twenty seventeen to November twenty eighteen. So I'm not saying she had to do it for some reason. Mm-hmm. It's clear part right. of what she's wanting to do. And you know, there was COVID itself as a ghost, as a haunt, as being haunting is mm-hmm. part of that's. I don't. It may never rise to the level of capital T text, but it's very, very capitalized subtext um, to some of these things mm-hmm. and how you deal with other people. And it is the leader in the clubhouse, for me, of fictional representations of COVID. It's going to be very difficult to do this yeah. with a defter hand that makes more sense, that is non sort of like, look how weird COVID is and it's about COVID. Like, this is how you incorporate it into a story at this time because it does not their whole lives, but it's a big chunk of them, but other stuff is happening and it rather than alters What's going on, it more intensifies. It becomes a catalyst for some emotional mm-hmm. stuff that's going on that I think has been true for a lot of people uh, of what COVID's done in their lives over the last yeah. couple of years. So I guess I, I hear what you're saying. My myself, I'm glad that it became as a surprise because then I got to be surprised and then see how deftly handled it was. Um, it is it is really beautifully handled. And I was thinking that kind of the same thing, that it will be hard 
for anybody to capture what those early COVID days yeah. felt like better than Erdrich has done here. And maybe that is one of the points in the pro column yeah. for this coming so closely on the heels of the experience. It made me think about other major sort of cultural crisis moments. And usually it takes like five to eight years in mm. my reading life before we, at least what I've observed as a reader is it takes five to eight years to get to the good fiction about the thing. There was 9-11 fiction a year after 9-11 most of no, it, was not, it was not good. good. It took a while. We, you know, it was like 2017 before we started getting decent, or 20, I don't know, 2010, 2011, before we started getting like decent fiction right. about 9 11. And then the like big economic crash in 2008, it was 2017, 2018 before we got mm. really good novels. And there was a spate of them in that time span that looked at that. And I think five or six years from now, we're also going to have a lot of novels that are set in this time and that look at COVID and that look at Black Lives Matter and all of the cultural crises that were happening at the same time. And it's they're all going to be competing with what Erdrich managed to do. This That's what I'm saying. She put on experience. the board, man. She put a score on yeah. the board. There's no doubt mm -hmm. because my experience of reading yeah. about, and again, I'm a very different person, a different place, but there's a certain universalism to the the sort of emotional journey and the experiential journey of COVID intensifying mm -hmm. and then you getting in the middle and then there's ebbs and flows. And then, you know, this was set in Minneapolis or just outside Portland had its own arc and other situations did too. And the election, the background of that. And like, it felt like my experience felt in many, many moments. Yeah, and I yes. don't know what higher praise to give it at this point than that for those, that particular piece of the, of the book. Mm -hmm. It was really resonant for me on that level as well because richmond was in the same kind of mm. thing here that we were you know covid was surging and we had racial yep. protests right. all over the city and, and lots of police violence surrounding those and you know wrestling with the same kinds of questions and this city's mm -hmm. cultural and racial history in the way that minneapolis was wrestling with theirs and it was i think about as close to the bone as a fictional representation could get. I felt very yeah. seen and it made me look at, it made me see things that I don't want to go back and, and look at just yet, but that we're going to have yeah. to. The sentence turns out Louise Erdrich, multiple Pulitzer Prize winner, National Book Winner, turn, uh, someone I've said is probably <laughs> on the top of the list of Americans for the Nobel yeah. Prize. Turns out she's good. I know it's a shock. Yeah, I've always Night liked too. her and I think. Night Watchman in this back bumps, to back. Woof! Yeah, I think this bumps her. Oh. on my running list of American novelists in line for the Nobel. Hard to see how it hurts her. I'll, t I'll say that much at this point. Um, go check yeah. it out if, if you if you're if you listen to the show. There's also like as we we on this show followed like the bookish world's interaction with COVID. Since it's said in a bookstore, a lot of stuff like are this going to happen? Yeah. PPP loans? Are we going to there? You know, there's a, a surge of orders for. Me Too, race, you know, anti-racism books that they talk and about and then schools yeah. and what's going to happen. So there's very on-the-ground stuff. I think the way to think about it, too, is like this particular personal journey. She happens to work at a bookstore and books are important to her and the people around her. But then it's the story of 2020 told through the lens of a, of a bookstore owned and operated largely mm -hmm. by indigenous people in Minnesota as a way to understand what this book is about. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really the additive moment for me that makes it special. Um, to see that through that lens. Yeah, it's, I think that's a really nice way to say it, that it's intersectional with a lot of identities and a lot of different ways of seeing the world. And one of those identities is person who understands right. the world through that's books. Right. Rebecca, thank you so much. And we'll uh, talk to you next time. Mm -hmm.